Welcome to Grant Seeker Coffee Talks, a podcast for nonprofits to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're discussing topics like current trends in corporate giving and how to apply these trends at a local level, and just generally how to secure local business support. The first voice we are going to hear is Cynthia Adams. Cynthia has been working in the nonprofit world for over 40 years, and she is the founder of Grant Station. We'll mostly be hearing her ideas and advice, but in between topics, there are some quick question breaks where we hear Tammy Tilsey read questions submitted by webinar attendees. So let's dive right in. We're going to start by talking about the big picture and then we're going to winnow it down. So what are some of the significant trends in corporate giving that may influence your, your asking at the local level? Although corporations and businesses typically contribute just over about 5% of all the philanthropic dollars, and I think there was like something like, oh, I just read this, um, 20, $23 billion or 23, almost $24 billion, um, philanthropic dollars that were given away last year. So about 5% comes from local businesses or from businesses in general. Much more is given through gifts in kind by these businesses, through corporate sponsorships, um, personal donations of individual corporate leaders. And as most of you know, in a typical capital campaign, for example, businesses often provide a significant percentage of the overall goal. However, many, many nonprofits fail to secure support from their local business community for, well, for a variety of reasons. And according to the 2018 U.S. Trust Insights on Wealth and Worth, it was an, it's an annual survey that they do about attitudes and goals, um, behaviors, you know, of high net worth individuals in the U.S. They said that 95% of business owners actively support nonprofits. That's interesting, you know, 95%. For many, this means serving on a nonprofit board. In fact, more than 30% of, of these survey respondents who own businesses serve on at least one nonprofit board. And now take this next sentence in. Many of them, many of, this, of these survey respondents serve on six or more boards. I mean, that's kind of an astounding figure, you know, given the demands placed on board members these days. So it's, a, it's an interesting fact to know. Another trend of notice is around larger corporations supporting smaller, more local partnerships at the request of their employees. So, for example, Deloitte has moved to a strategy of supporting local nonprofits throughout the country rather than investing in large national nonprofits. It's going to be interesting to see if this, if their uh, new approach is adopted by other national grant makers. Um, the, our researchers at GrantStation are really keeping an eye on this because I think it might happen. So, as you can see, you you sort of have to ha take this sort of ten thousand foot view, as I say, and really get a sense of what's going on in the in the uh, business sector as far as trends go. The presence of business owners. Um, on those boards is can be particularly helpful to organizations like yours because while their missions may differ, businesses and nonprofits face they face similar challenges. And though many of us ask a business leader to you know to serve on a board because we hope or we believe they can make a significant donation, 
or help solicit other donations, just be aware that these leaders also have a depth of knowledge that you could be drawing on. I mean, just think of it this way. Businesses and nonprofits must each define their strategic goals, right? And they need to identify the metrics by which progress is really assessed. In their case, in the case of business, that's you know their progress is towards profitability. And in your case, it's toward achieving your mission. And of course, both business and nonprofits need to develop effective marketing and communication strategies and attract top talent as staff. Now, that doesn't mean you don't want their financial support. Of course you do. But, but keep in mind that these business leaders bring other assets to the table that you can use to help grow your organization. And the more engaged they get, you know, the more participation they have in, in the work that you're doing, the more likely you're going to receive significant and hopefully ongoing cash support. So let's look at a corporate giving trend that may well influence your, your local ask. Businesses are starting to act as society's social conscience. And this concept blossomed about a decade ago when consumers really started demanding more from businesses. Today, several surveys indicate that 78% of Americans, that's a high number, 78% of Americans want companies to address social justice issues. These demands are clearly resonating because last year, more than ever before, CEOs spoke up and took action in support of their organization's values. So leaders at the helm of brands like um, Google, Intel, Apple, Lyft, they've made public statements on issues including the travel ban, um, ending the deferred action of childhood arrivals, that DACA program, um, barring transgender members from serving in the military, and of course the white nationalist rally in, in Charlottesville brought out a bunch of, of um, business leaders um, you know, making statements about it. Their statements, the, those statements make headlines, and more importantly, motivate companies and their people to work together with national and community-based organizations like yours in an effort to right the wrongs. In fact, we're seeing larger corporate um, corporations like uh, um, supporting places like the, uh, the ACLU Action Fund or Natural Resources Defense Council, Southern Poverty Law Center, those kinds of organizations. Those are organizations companies wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole five years ago, and now they're lining up. So let me share with you a headline posted in September 5th in, um, in 2008 in the New York Times. I know it was a while ago, um, 2018, I know it was a while ago, but I think it's, it demonstrates this point. Nike has always been out front when it comes to corporate giving trends, but they certainly caught the eye of most Americans when they announced that Colin Kaepernick would be the face of Nike for an upcoming campaign, and the campaign was just do it. It isn't every day you see a business, a large corporate giant like Nike, willing to take on this kind of controversy, yet they have, and they did. And their boldness resulted in huge sales for them, right? Another trend to note is the influence of millennials on the workplace, and according to recent research, uh, 88% of millennials find their jobs 
more fulfilling than when they had the opportunity to make a positive impact on society and the environment. For-profit companies are seeing you know, the business benefits of positioning their brands for, for purpose, and researchers have been quick to quantify the trend. The, the you know, the, there is, um, what's that guy's name? Um, you think I'd write this down? A, column, a corn fairy. It's a corn, the Corn Fairy Institute. That's what it was. They found uh, that purpose-driven consumer companies achieved more, uh, a much higher growth rate, like almost 10% growth rate over other organizations that laid low below, below the, you know, the radar. So those, org those companies that were reaching out and really making, taking a stand, their growth rate was almost 10%. Well, you know, overall it was like 2.4, 2.5% as a whole for other corporations. And um, Unilever uh, CEO Paul Pullman said that their purpose-driven brands are growing 50% faster than their other brands. So it's smart business now to position a company so it has a social purpose, right? These are facts and figures you can use when developing your own case for support at the local level. The, um, this is another report that came out not, not long ago, actually. It's the uh, Giving in Numbers 2018 edition. It's based on data from about 250 or 260 companies. And this report not only presents a profile of corporate philanthropy and employee engagement, but also includes a, you know, a trend summary, which is, I, find, I thought was really interesting, that highlights the prominent features of corporate investment. And in that, they some, say something like nearly half, um, like 48% of the companies, total giving in a three-year period between 2014 and 2016, increased by 2.3%, right? And the same percentage of companies, about 48%, were able to estimate giving changes um, in 2017-18, and they expected it to continue that at that rate. So it's, it's a fairly level growth rate right now. I shouldn't say level. It's an um, incremental growth rate right now, but it is growing. And I thought it was interesting that companies in the facilities medical equipment sub-industry accounted for three quarters of the largest proportion, proportion of total giving increases across the industry. And I thought, I thought it was so interesting that I asked the researchers at Grand Station to really look at those that that sub industry of you know facilities medical equipment because if they're the largest proportion of total giving increase we need to know about it right and we need to be, have those people in our database so we're doing a lot of research around that concept right now the other thing that was interesting in this report and then I'll move on here was simply that there's a, um, a lot more giving in the area of culture and arts and that has been stagnant for a long time so that was really good to see okay a fairly new trend um, but an important one to note is that companies are seeking deeper impact with their grants which equates to you know, having fewer recipients, fewer grants, and a larger grant size. Companies are funneling their giving into, corp into program areas they have chosen um, as their strategic or signature programs. What that means for you is that if you are a 
a small to medium-sized organization, not a national organization, you should be forming collaborative um, partnerships with other like organizations in other, perhaps other regions, other states, and that will attract their notice. Demonstrating the societal impact or outcomes of corporate initiatives, that is, it remains a prevalent practice. Companies are promoting the development of um, of an actionable charitable strategy and they're inspiring other leaders to follow so it's kind of um, you know bleeding down to the to the regional and local level and it's not just for marketing purposes anymore it's not just to do the right thing that's not why corporations are giving but to be authentic and build the kind of environment and culture that helps people make the right decisions and I mean, if last year taught us anything about the evolution of corporate giving is that those with the right ethos and, and leadership have become models of the behavior that's needed for us to leave the world a better place than we found it. And those who have taken a stand are showing us um, the way. So in summary, just on these trends section, then we're going to move into some heavy duty, what to do next. <laughs> um, just try to stay on top of national trends as they may greatly influence how you craft your requests for local and regional support. And I realize, I realize, I know you are all stretched for time and scouring the internet for the latest trends is not gonna be high on your list. So I suggest that you ask a volunteer to do this for you. This can be a board member, you know, maybe be somebody who's a little shy about making direct ask for your organization or someone on the fundraising committee if you have one or just enlist a volunteer that's internet savvy and likes to do research. And they can review you know, articles, blogs, reports, and just send you a quarterly bullet point summary of the results. It's just a great job for a volunteer and one that many, many people enjoy. Okay, we're gonna move on, but before I do, um, Tammy, do we have any questions yet? Yes, there is one that we have, but, um, I'm just curious, who is the largest corporate donor in the U.S.? Aha, <laughs> good question. Well, by far, by far, you guys, the largest corporate philanthropist um, who gives about $300 million a year in cash and over a billion in product donations is Walmart, hands down. Um, hands they down. Do. Hands down, they beat mm -hmm. I and mean, they way ahead. And the thing about Walmart is that if you have one in your community, if you start by asking them for product donations and build a rapport with them, eventually you can move into their, their larger corporate giving offices and ask for cash support. So it's a really good relationship to um, groom. The other thing about, for those of you who aren't in communities that have a Walmart, um, if you, form partnerships with organizations that are in communities. Let's say you're a clinic and you form some sort of a collaborative partnership with another two or three clinics in an area that does have a Walmart, then they will give to you if you're part of a collaborative. Okay, anything else or can we move on? 
there is one definition that I think would be helpful um, that came up. When you speak of local businesses, are you referring to national corporations with local branches, or how you know how do you yeah. approach them at the local or corporate level? Yeah, that's that's really good. And I'm I'm actually speaking about both. I'm talking about that little IT business on the corner, or the print the or locally owned, family owned print shop, as well as the um, the state you know state farm insurance. Uh, office or the New York Life office that has two or three employees in it and you can ask at the local level but you can also go to their foundation or to their corporate giving program so, and I'll be clarifying that as we go through. We are going to be stopping for questions at each one of these agenda items you guys so we'll, we'll get them in there. Um, so I just want to take a few minutes to review the types of giving, the gifts that you might receive from local businesses and corporations. This is going to help set the stage for building a corporate donations program within your organization. There are basically four, this is real remedial, so just bear with me, it's quick. Um, there are basically four types of corporate giving. There's cash, in-kind donations of products, uh, pro bono services, and of course, employees who volunteer. Each type of giving has its own benefits and are useful, um, you know, are useful resources that could be part of any organization's corporate solicitations program. We all understand what cash awards are about, right? We, we know what that is, and they're by far the most useful um, for you to secure, and that's mainly what we're gonna be talking about today. But let's clarify, clarify these other three types of donations, the in-kind, pro bono, and employee. Of volunteers before we go back to soliciting cash support, which actually does make up the bulk of this. The definition of in-kind is basically anything that's not that's non-cash, labor, products, services, anything that has a financial value for which you do not have to pay um, or which you pay less for. I think we all understand this concept, but I'll say a few words about pro bono or what folks are now calling skills-based volunteering. The beauty of pro bono work or the skills-based volunteering is that if you can garner this kind of support from a business, it is quite likely that volunteering will eventually turn into cash support. This is, and research has shown this over and over, this is in a very real way a first step toward securing ongoing cash support from a business. So for example, a couple of years ago I helped secure uh, the donated services of a CPA to perform an annual audit for a medium-sized nonprofit. And the CPA has done this service, this pro bono service for the last three years. And this year, this year, and I, and I had nothing to do with this, but this year he also made a $2,500 donation to the organization. So you can see you know, how that turns, that uh, service can turn into cash. Um, another example might be, let's say that local IT company that I just talked about that's on the corner, you know, they might help you build or rebuild your website and contribute ongoing maintenance. That's the kind of support that will, the person who's doing it, the leader of that business, the manager, the CEO, that person, um, that endears them because they get to know your cause quite well and it's likely that this company will eventually donate cash each year and that's what you want both the tech help as well as an ongoing cash contribution from the company note that the value of in-kind donations has increased over the past years and we're expecting the the 2018 report around this topic it should be published soon it may have 
just come out actually. Um, but it's going to demonstrate this even further, I think, further increases. This may be a result of companies reporting better valuation of pro bono services and more participation by employees. Okay, let's talk um, a bit about the nuts and bolts that will make up your corporate donations program. And before I, I told you that was going to be a short one, um, before I move on, uh, Tammy, any questions? How do you solicit pro bono services? It's, it'll be the same it's way as you, yeah, so pro bono services yeah. like, uh, pro bono used to be just referring to like professionals like an accountant to do your audit or a lawyer to draw up your incorporation papers or to refile incorporation papers for you. That was considered pro bono services. But now that they're calling it more like skills-based volunteering, it's going to be, it's, the ask is going to be just the same as if you're asking for cash. And we're going to be covering that in a minute. Okay, it's important to have several board approved policies in place as well as um, as well as a set of consistent procedures for how you handle support from businesses before you launch a full-scale corporate donations program. I offer an entire webinar about in-kind gifts, so I'm not going to cover the policies and procedures around this type of giving. For now, we're going to mainly talk about securing and managing contributions from uh, cash contributions from local, regional, and even national businesses. When you talk with your board of directors or staff about launching a new or, or a revised corporate donations program, you know, a local business donations program, you should begin that discussion by focusing on the importance of generating what I call revenue reliability. Your specific goals for this program, the goal you want everyone to agree on, is to bring in recurring dollars that are unrestricted and can be used as you see fit, usually for general operating, but sometimes you have to ask for special projects and then of course it'll be somewhat restricted, right? And you wanna do this year after year. Basically, you have a dual goal as noted um, on this slide to create that revenue reliability and to you know, ensure some level um, of autonomy connected to those revenues. Just keep in mind that reliable revenue doesn't always come from the same sources providing the same amounts of money each year. Instead, it suggests an ongoing ability to earn or raise a level of income with a fair amount of certainty. So you may get $5,000 from the regional bank this year, we can hope. <laughs> you may get $5,000 from the regional bank this year, but you, but you are but you are confident you can raise that same amount next year, either from this source, from the bank, or from another source. So you're confident about the amount you can raise, either from that source or from another source. As with all fundraising programs, and you all know this already, the foundation of your corporate donations program should be built on a set of board-approved policies and staff-developed procedures. Once you have these in place, and we're going to discuss these in more detail in just a minute, you have to be clear about what you can or you will be able to be clear about what you can and cannot offer a business in exchange for their support. And of course, you must know what organization, what your organization truly needs and how you're going to use the funds um, or your in-kind gifts. Policies. 
the board has to adopt policies to run the whole program. And here are just a few ideas on the slide around generating the right kinds of policies for your new or your improved um, donations program. Policies might include a statement that your organization will obtain legal advice when appropriate, or perhaps you want to develop a list of gift types that can be accepted on behalf of the organization you know, by staff, and then maybe gift types that have to be, that require board approval. So you might say a gift of $1,000 or more requires board approval, or 10,000 or more requires board approval, whereas, you know, um, anything below that the staff can, can take. Um, when you get a chance, just sort of read through what Catherine Swank here says, she's with Target, and she um, target analytics and she she really talks about you know the the importance of having this holistic view when you're developing uh, policies around uh, a corporate giving program and it's well worth uh, looking at what she has to say also the national council of nonprofits at the very bottom of the slide they have uh, a whole bunch of information about gift acceptance policies that will guide you as you develop those gift acceptance acceptance policies. Good procedures and work instructions, that's going to make this program work. The policies guide it, but the procedures that you put in place um, are, are what is going to make every all the money that you bring in, the even the uh, in-kind donations, pro bono, all of that kind of stuff. That's what this is. That's what's going to make it work. You want to apply consistent standards and practices within your organization. If you apply common sense, you can easily produce more, you know, effective procedures and work instructions that will benefit your nonprofit. Um, when you write the policies. When you write, develop your, your um, I'm sorry, your procedures for the, for the organization, remember, you have to assume you're writing for an individual who doesn't know how to perform a specific task because that procedure manual that you put together is, is going to be referenced on a regular basis. And so you must present the information in the correct order. You have to anticipate problems. You provide a help section with the document. Design the pages of the document so they're easy to remove and scan, um, or, or keep an electronic copy that's easily access accessible. It's just um, having those procedures that you can touch is very, very important when you're setting up your corporate giving program. So for example, just having a statement regarding how you plan to acknowledge gifts can help your organization operate professionally at all levels. And that that's, doesn't make any difference what size of the gift or the size of your organization. You may also want to adopt procedures for accepting gifts of cash. Some organizations prefer, you know, um, electronic transfers or they just, they just want to take credit cards. Others prefer uh, to only accept gifts via an online payment system. It's up to you to develop the procedures that make the most sense for your organization. These suggested procedures are just a starting point. You may have many other ideas that need to be incorporated. The National Council of Nonprofits offers a lot of guidance in this area, so really do check them out. The idea here is to build a solid foundation for the corporate donations program so that each step of the way is clearly articulated for staff and for the board. 
you want to set reasonable expectations around your donations program, whether you're just going after local businesses or state or regional um, corporations. And in order to do this, you need to outline the policies surrounding the program, set those policies, and of course, um, develop those procedures. You know, by articulating the procedures, you're going to have a fairly good idea of what you can and um, by art, I should say by articulating the policies and procedures, you're going to have a fairly good idea of what you can and cannot offer a business in exchange for their support. So we all need cash to operate our organizations. I mean, that's a given, right? You're all going, yeah, uh-huh, I do. But making that case for support has to be grounded in more than, you know, we need money <laughs> to operate. And the first step in being able to present a solid request is to clarify excuse me, in your own mind what your organization needs, whether cash or product donations, and why and when you need it. Knowing both what you need and when you need it is critical. It's critical in drafting your request for support. There are basically four steps to identify and articulate what you need and when you need it. And I generally start by looking at my operating budget to determine if there's going to be any shortfall in the next you know, between now and the end of the year, for example, or maybe over between now, for the, let's say the next 18 months, for the next year and a half. You may also want to review your special project budgets as well, just to determine what funds still need to be raised for those projects. And then I look at the problems that my organization might encounter over the next year or so. This is a, a step many organizations sort of neglect unless something's just blazing in their face, right? So I look at the problems that the organization might encounter over the next year or so. And, and, and then I also consider any opportunities that may be on the horizon. And finally, I have a frank discussion with my board about moving the organization toward for fulfilling its mission. Now, we're going to look at these four steps a little bit closer because they're going to make up the bulk of your ask. The first step is to identify any general operating budget issues. Let's say your your project, um, let's say you're projecting a, a general operating budget shortfall before the end of this year. Of course, you need to know approximately how much you expect to fall short. That's a given. Then you have to ask yourself, how will leadership handle this issue? They might decide to cut the budget or dip into your endowment or cash reserve if you have one um, in order to make up that shortfall. You should also ask yourself what will fail or what will fall to the wayside if you don't operate with a complete budget. So for example, let's say you run um, uh, a children's ballet company. You may, you may determine that you cannot put on a holiday you know, production of the Nutcracker because you need new costumes this year and the money just isn't there. So that's a shortfall and that's what's going to have to be set aside. Or let's say you're an environmental organization and you determine that you'll have to cancel your winter bird count because you can't afford to hire a project coordinator to do the outreach. You can't afford the marketing, you know, to get people involved. You get the idea. Just spend a, a little time thinking about what might not get done if you aren't able to bring in some year-end funds to meet your general operating needs. 
Um, try going to the same exercise with any special project budgets that you may have that you may have um, in play as well. This is an important step because it feeds your case for support. It allows you to talk openly and honestly to your potential donors about your current circumstances. You know what will suffer if you don't have the support, and when, what you can accomplish if you do have the support. As part of this analysis, I encourage you to talk with others, staff, volunteers, you know, board staff, volunteers, about the potential for problems that may not currently exist, but which may be likely to crop up due to changes in um, public policy or the law, let's say national or state leadership, or even the environment. For some of you, this might be a very, very short answer. No, you know, we don't see anything on the horizon. But for others, there may be a very real set of issues or circumstances that you'll need to deal with. And like many problems, they come in different sizes and different flavors. So for example, uh, legislation may be in the works to ban the use of plastic bags in your community. And let's say you're a food bank and you hand out weekly groceries in plastic bags. This could be an issue that you're going to have to deal with sooner rather than later, which may impact your budget. Or um, another example might be, let's say there's going to be, a, they're predicting an unusually cold winter, and you run a homeless shelter as well as help the homeless who are on the streets and won't come into the shelter. This weather issue um, might you know mean you're spending much more money on warm clothes and blankets to distribute. So you get the idea here. You know, what problems or issues might be on the horizon? Just have a frank discussion about those problems that may arise so you can craft your ask around these, your, these projections. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes an organization is presented with an excellent opportunity but simply doesn't have the financial wherewithal to see the opportunity through. So for example, let's say you're an arts organization and you're, you work with young composers to help them realize their compositions, help them you know, provide performance you know, opportunities and, and maybe even recording assistance. You work in a small, leased space with an even smaller recording studio and semi-professional equipment. Let's say you're approached by several other arts groups that are going to run a capital campaign and build a new facility. They want you to put, you know, you to be part of the campaign with the outcome that you'll have state-of-the-art equipment and expanded space for your staff as well as access to an excellent new performance space. This is a huge opportunity for the organization. But if you don't have the funds to dedicate staff time to a capital campaign, nor the money to help with the initial plans for the building, you may, you may not be able to participate. You know, what is the cost of this opportunity, right? So you need to find out what the cost of that, you know, determine what the cost of, of following through with this organization and being part of this capital campaign, and you need to know when you would need to make a commitment. These are the kinds of questions that have to be asked when you're analyzing your organization's overall needs. Researching and identifying these types of opportunity clearly play a role in the overall assessment of needs for an organization. The fourth step is to have a frank discussion with your board around fulfilling your mission. Now, this isn't an easy conversation, <laughs> and you may not even want to go there, 
at least not yet, but it is a conversation that will help you generate compelling requests for, for support from local and statewide businesses and perhaps even national corporations. Business owners get excited when they see a strategic approach to solving a particular problem or issue. If that problem happens to be connected to their own business, if that innovation might affect their operations, then your organization and your approach can become gold. So let's say you run an after-school program and the program's mission is to provide free, comprehensive after-school programs that keep children safe, build their confidence and their skills and provide a, a nurturing environment. You can easily make connections between this after-school program and the employees who have children that need care between school hours and when the parent goes home. What if your board decides to address their mission in a bold new way? For instance, they decide that the program shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be just a, a no-cost, high-quality babysitting service, but should be an aggressive program whose vision is to really boast the healthiest children, you know, in Alabama um, that that are living in, you know, Grover Creek. I'm making these names up and building the skills and habits for a healthy life and empowering each child to reach their highest potential. So the goal, the, the this bold new goal becomes quite large, and you'll find that something like that will excite local business owners not only because you're providing a great environment for their workers' children or for some of their workers' children, but because you're investing in the future workforce of the community, you're shining light on your community that will attract other businesses and workers. So being bold here can really pay off. Okay, just to summarize, let me say that most of you will mainly look at general operating and special projects budget shortfalls. This is what your most organizations do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's where you're going to start and that's where you should start. But if you can take the time, um, you may want to look at a potential at the potential problems that you may face as well as the potential opportunities. And remember those problems will vary in size. You know, they, they can be quite small or, or quite large. And it, it's just something that you should think about as you move forward. And of course keeping that idea of really addressing your mission in, in mind um, can really propel your organization to getting statewide and even national interest as far as um, investment goes. Okay, we're going to stop here and take some questions, maybe. Uh, do we have anything, Tammy? <laughs> yes, right after you started into that section, we had a great question from the previous one. So okay. I'm going to ask that. Should giving policies differ between business and individual giving? Can one set of policies govern both? Uh, I don't think so. I think they're close and they're going to probably reflect one another. But for example, um, oftentimes businesses will ask, let's say you have an event every year, the, the, um, the Arctic Winter Games. And, uh, you know, Shell decides to underwrite them. So they might, might want to name them the Shell Arctic Winter Games. You, that's a policy that wouldn't necessarily apply to an individual donor at all. But you may have a policy that no event can be named after a business. And when that business gives you $100,000 and asks you to name the event, you can point to that policy and say, we simply don't do that. Um, and 
it's so I would say that the answer to that is there are some that are going to bleed over, but major donor policies are going to be a, a, a smidgen different than corporate giving policies. Okay. Um, here is another question. Does proactive approach mean bolder, bigger goals? It can. It, it can mean it, it can mean that. I mean I would say I would say the word the adjective bolder applies, um, not necessarily bigger. So, you know, you may you may have this after school program, and your your bold you know, approach would be to you know go for making this the, the these children the you know, most educated, healthiest, safest children in the in the state. But um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that you're going to be taking in hundreds of kids, you know, children to the, it's, so it's not necessarily bigger. It's just, um, but bolder is important. I think I would use that adjective. Okay. And there's one more that kind of aligns with your uh, shell example. Sometimes a business says, if you promote or advertise my business on your website or social media, I'll give you X dollars to, to your organization when somebody actually buys my product or service from your referral how do you feel about that yeah it's a little dicey um I, there we're going to be covering how you you know uh, how you kind of deal with some okay. of this but i also i just want to say that don't let that kind of um aggressive business behavior is is typical businesses are used to working this way um you just have to really bring them into what you're doing and how you're doing it. I, I'm very, I don't like to get into a, a thing where they're saying, now I want you to do this, I want you to do that. What we're going to be talking about in a minute is how you, um, what you can offer them and the kinds of things that you can offer them that will, that is going to make that little light in their head go, aha. You, you need to take control of, this, of the conversation that's the biggest thing. You need to control where this conversation is going with each local business. So if you present to them what you can offer them before they say, I want you to do X, Y, Z, then you're, you're in control of it rather than they are in control of it. Does that make sense, Tammy? Yes. Yes, I think that nailed the, the question there. Um, and then this kind of goes back to determining your needs, that section there. But how and if you're going to cover this in the in the future, uh, just go ahead and uh, jump in. But how can we make support for general operating expenses more enticing for local business? Uh, we're going to talk about that. <clears throat> Let's okay. wait. Okay. <laughs> Should I continue? Yes, go ahead. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Identifying local support. Now, you, you will probably have all of your policies and procedures, ducks in a row, and you know, just, just assume that you do, as well as a fairly good idea of how much financial support that you're going to need in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, and how you're going to use the money raised because you've done that assessment. Now it's time to start identifying which businesses in your community, regionally or statewide, perhaps some of them nationally, that might be appropriate for you to ask for support. Now this part can be a lot of fun. It's it's a bit of a treasure hunt. Um, of course, you're going to note the obvious donors, but you also wanted to uncover some of those um, hidden gems. 
The first step in identifying who you will ask for support involves simply making a list of the obvious candidates. You want to consider a wide range of potential supporters, but I'd start with those that are near and dear, um, the businesses you engage with right now, like the utility company, your bank, your internet service provider, any tech or accounting services that you pay for. So make a list of all of those organizations that you interact with now. And of course, you want to ask your board, staff, and volunteers if they have any strong connections with local businesses. And you might add one or two businesses from that conversation. At this point, I also list all of the competitors for each of these businesses. So ask yourself, what other banks are in the community? Who else sells liability insurance? You know, What other tech companies might you be using? So that's sort of your first step. And here's just a, a simple example. These initial steps don't take much time. However, it's wise to do a little research to uncover connections and understand the competition for each of the vendors you currently use. This information may never, never, never come into play, but you need to keep it in your back pocket just in case you need to draw on it. Once you've created this initial list, then I want you to head out of the office. My earliest mentor, way back in the 70s and the early 80s, always told me to start by taking a drive around town. He said, to make a list of the biggest buildings, which I just, I was like, why, you know? The biggest buildings, the businesses I passed that had a statewide or a national connection, like the regional banks or national insurance companies, I noted union halls, radio and TV stations. The idea behind this task was not to only identify potential supporters, and here's the key, but to visualize where they were located and how they had positioned themselves in the community. You know, you're, you, what you're trying to do here is understand their reality. When I got back to my office, I'd begin that initial research to help me understand these businesses better. So for example, I could look up the ownership of the big buildings, you know, by using the borough or the county or the city database uh, around property taxes and, and really understanding who owned those buildings. Um, I know you can do the same kind of research using the internet and not spending half your day or the whole full day driving or biking around town, but the visual of each business creates a certain stamp on your mind. It gives you a hint as to their level of ability to support your work. And it allows you to customize each grant request to really reflect their reality. So for example, let's say you're a community group wanting to fix up a local park. And the bank you use has a branch located near the park. When you write the bank requesting their support, you can mention the location of the park in relation to their bank, noting that once the renovation is completed, their employees will have, you know, be able to take their lunch breaks in the park and in fact could be part of the opening celebration, blah, blah, blah. So this idea of going around town and creating a list can be very helpful in customizing your approach, as well as uncovering businesses that may not be on everyone's radar. Now, add the businesses that might merit more investigation to your growing list. Be careful here. If you have no idea, you know, where they would be, if they would be a potential donor or not, then you keep them on the list because that's going to be how you're going to uncover those hidden gems that I talked about. The tendency is to drop businesses because 
you know, you have no idea who they are or what they do. And I would suggest that you know just make that that just makes them more intriguing. At least it does to me. Okay. Once you have a pretty extensive list, you should start what I call the deep research phase, building a profile on each business you've identified. This, by the way, is a great job for a fundraising committee if you have one, or for a couple of volunteers. Their research will save you a lot of time and allow you to narrow your focus on those businesses most likely to support your work. You know, what is the research process I use? If you have a resource like GrantStation, and many of you are GrantStation members I know, or you are Grant Hub members, um, and you have access to GrantStation through them, then you can use our searchable database to see you know, what kind of information we have about them. Because we've vetted that information and summarized it for you, have done a lot of that work for you, so it's right there. But if you don't have access to GrantStation or a similar type database, then here are a few tips to help you you know, with your research. You want to, you know, do a Google search for each company uh, website and pull off the relevant information like the right contact person and, you know, always look under, um, and when you pull up a, a business, always look under about. That's where you're going to find the information that describes their giving programs if they have one. A lot of smaller businesses won't have anything about it at all. Um, you also might want to set up a Google alert so you receive information when a particular company hits the news. Uh, look at social media outlets, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, to see if the business shares information through those outlets. And then watch the local paper and job postings on the internet to see if the business is hiring. This is why you want to volunteer to do this. <laughs> um, you, you, you check to see if the business belongs to, to the local chamber. Chamber of Commerce or other business associations in your area, all of these sources um, will help you develop more information about each one of these businesses. And you're going to then take that information and build a profile on each of them. And again, this is a great job for a volunteer. Um, you need to come up with your own template to help guide this process and make sure you're capturing all of the information that you're going to need if you decide to approach them. At this point, you may eliminate you know, a few of the companies on that growing list you've created. However, don't do this too quickly, since building the profiles often uncovers some very interesting connections that you may want to pursue. You should also look for any notable achievements, like awards they may have received, or you know, the governor gave them an award for something, um, news or media recognition, that kind of thing. I also like to look at their annual reports um, at the annual reports of other charities that do uh, in your community to see if uh, any of the businesses you're, in, you're researching have contributed to their work. And sometimes you can even get the amount that they contributed from that. Now it's time to dive into all of that research you, or hopefully a volunteer, have done and determine who you're going to approach to fund your organization um, in the coming year. And I strongly recommend that you do this through a working group, not just by yourself, you know, just bring two or three or five people together, staff, board, or volunteers, even a friend or two. Review each profile and determine if they should be eliminated at this point or if they might go into what I call the Tier 1 or Tier 2 groups. And the Tier 1 groups, um, a group of businesses, are those that I feel like they're probably my hottest prospects. 
and the tier two are those that maybe I would go to and I might fall back to them if I don't make, <clears throat> excuse me, the amount of money that I need to make by asking the tier one group for it. Once you've got a good set of tier one businesses to approach, then you need to prepare the documents that you will use for the ask. Okay, I'm gonna stop and Tammy, do we have any questions? Yes, we have a few. Um, one is, how do you find that right person if they don't have the information on their website or an internet search, etc.? How do you call and get that name from the gatekeeper? Actually, that's what I do. I call. <laughs> I, call <laughs> I call, and usually it's a, a receptionist um, of the organization that, that answers. <clears throat> and I say, who is the you know CEO? I, I can't define it. Or who is head of marketing? Or do you have someone who is in charge of, of making decisions on gifts to nonprofits? And they almost always know. I mean, it's really, it's the, it seems like the obvious thing to do and is the obvious thing to do. So just call them and ask. And don't be shy about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, another question is, how many businesses normal sh normally should be listed in Tier 1 or Tier 2? Or maybe your first time at this, how should you limit it? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, it, it is a good question. And I think that um, by building those profiles and going through that, developing that, you know, asking those questions and sort of analyzing the Tier 1 and Tier 2 groups, you're going to, it's, they're going to fall out. You're probably going to end up with, eight or if you're you know it's your first time you've done this uh, uh, corporate giving program you might have eight or ten groups that you're asking for support um, and if it's you know you already have a corporate giving program but it needs a lot of um, renovation <laughs> then you might have you know 15 or 20 it just depends it really and the size of your organization and the size of the ask and it's once you start building the profiles, you're going to get a pretty good idea. Be careful, though, because seriously, I, I did this once, and I had something like 28 or 30 groups, businesses that I was going to ask. And I dove in. I was I dived right in. I was doing all this you know, work and preparing all these packages and talking to all these people, and it was too much. I got myself way in over my head. So just be careful that you don't put too many on the list. Okay? Yeah. Yep. And one other uh, question I want to ask right at this break. What if your organization has no brick or mortar um, example like an arts group that performs all over the state or the region? You have no electric company or other you know, stationary vendors. Where do you find that local support? I think that the, I, I think your case for support is just as strong as somebody who does has all these vendors that they work with now. Um, it's just that you're going to have to you're going to have to sort of ferret them out. You're going to have to find the people that will be really interested in what you do. Um, I love the idea that you're just sort of a gypsy. You know, you're roaming all over the place and doing these different things, and you don't have brick and mortar. That's that's a good thing. You can show that your overhead is quite low, and I think that your travel expenses might be higher. Um, but I think that it's it's a, a real sellable kind of. Um, uh, proposition. So don't worry about if you don't have those vendors in in play, uh, really don't worry about it. But you are getting, you know, you're getting your gas where you're driving. You know, there's a gas station. There's a there's there's other places that you're buying costumes or whatever um, performance uh, 
materials as well as you know equipment that you're using so just make a list of the people where you do spend your money um, and you can start there but that that's only the start that's that, that's the obvious group if you, if you only have two or three places fine you know move on to the next phase right anything else just one more related to how many and and is there a, a viable or how many viable corporations in a service area are needed to fully invest in this strategy? Is there a minimum? Well, I think the first year I did it, um, most of the gifts that I solicited were in-kind contributions of products and services. I think I, maybe I had one or two cash, but it was low. I mean, this is in the 70s. It was like $500 or $1,000 or something. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to start out big. In fact, you want to grow your program slowly. You want to be you want it to be considered. Um, once you have those policies and procedures in place, you're going to be able to move it along more quickly. But I don't think, you know, your goal shouldn't be to bring in $100,000 the first year that you develop this corporate giving program. It should be, you know, if you can bring in five to 10000 it's probably pretty good. You, it's a warm-up act, you know, you're the warm-up act. Um, so start there. Okay. Thank the, you. The end. Here we go. The end. <laughs> oh, no, not yet. Not the end yet. No, no. Okay, let's, talk about, <laughs> let's talk about preparing to ask. So why do some nonprofits seem to effortlessly raise money from local businesses while others struggle, right? Primarily, it's because they've earned the right to ask for money. They've learned that to be successful in today's funding environment, they must keep each company's perspective in mind and carefully determine what is and what is not a rational request. They also always predetermine what they can and cannot offer a company in terms of recognition for their support. This thinking requires um, a slightly commercial approach you know, thinking through what you have to offer a company, what it's, you know, what, what it's worth, and which not all of us has, have developed that capacity to do that, but it's a fact of life for the fundraiser. So let's briefly touch on the basic documents that you have to have in place before you start soliciting funding from businesses. Most of you probably already know this, but let me briefly review some basic docs you definitely want to have ready before you begin soliciting support. That includes your mission statement, and you want to have it date stamped when it was last reviewed by the board, so it shows credibility that credibility that your board reviews it every year and says, yes, this is what we're trying to do. Um, a balance sheet or a, a latest audited financial statement. Of course, the board of directors and their bios, and those bios need to be about their skill sets, just like if they were applying for a job. I mean, it has to really about, be about their skill sets. Listing of staff and their bios, same thing, skills. Organizational chart, general operating budget, and strategic plan. All of those things need to, you need to have in your back pocket before you start soliciting funds. As I mentioned, when you prepare documents for making the request, you want to keep each company's perspective in mind. So that brings us back to their, their mission or their vision, which you've already noted on their profile. You've collected that information. You know what their mission is or what their vision is. You want to develop what I call a rational request. The request you make for support needs to align with the information you've noted on the company's profile, such as their 
financial situation, the level of support they've given to other organizations, right? You also want to decide at this point whether you will ask for a donation of cash or product or service. You know, do you think it's wise to start with product or service requests first, eventually moving them into cash? Or do you want to start with cash right off the bat? You have to make that decision. You will also be dedicating some time to figuring out what you can offer each potential donor in exchange for their support. You will, of course, need to you know, reference those policies that were already set and adopted by your board so you're in compliance with the rules of the game, so to speak. So let's investigate each of these points just a bit further. Keeping the company's perspective in mind as you craft your request is not easy, but it's essential. A small company that's growing by leaps and bounds may or may on the surface seem like a good business to hit up for a large cash donation. But a company with that kind of growth, that kind of growth spurt, I guarantee you they're hurting for cash because they're having to ramp everything up just a couple of notches just to meet the demand. That's your perspective is that they're doing really well. We could ask them for a, a big chunk of money. Their reality is they have their cash is tight. So to help you understand their current reality, you have to go back to their profile. You, if you see, for example, that they're growing rapidly, you can acknowledge that in your request. You know, recognizing that they're going through a growth phase, you know their leadership will be excited, they're gonna be eager to look in new directions that will build on their current success. Um, they wanna keep the momentum going. So your job is to figure out how you can help them build on their current momentum. Take control, remember I talked about that earlier. Ask for a reasonable donation and use their adrenaline to fund your work. You can ask for you know, more once the, their, that their, um, their leaps and bounds growth levels off a bit. That's using current perspective to propel your request forward. Using the perspective you've uncovered, try to figure out what is their particular company, company could easily give, that business could easily give. Timing might play a role in thinking this through. So let's say, let's say it's near the end of the year and you know this company does a product inventory at the first of the year. If they can offload some of that inventory as a year-end donation to you, then you're helping them and you're helping your organization, you know, as long as these are products that you need, of course. <laughs> um, but inventory management is a very, very real issue for many businesses, and this is exactly the kind of information that will help you determine what, excuse me, what is a rational ask? Okay, you need to hold a brainstorming session that uncovers all of your strengths, all of your saleable points that can be used when pitching your organization or when writing a request for support. You know, it's estimated that larger businesses receive, you know, fairly large businesses like your, the national, the, the regional bank chain, they receive like 50 letters a week from nonprofits that want help. To, so to be successful, you need to think outside the box a little and ask yourself why the company you want money from would want to support your organization. You have to consider this for each and every request that you write. 
So where appropriate, think about where, you know, what you're prepared to offer in return, like um, public acknowledgement or publicity opportunities. Most companies give partly out of self-interest rather than pure altruism. And it's important to remember this when approaching them. If you're asking for sponsorship, think about why a company would want to be associated, you know, associated with, with you and the people that you work with, the people you serve. This could include you know, positive publicity, so, so quote from any press coverage you received, which indicates the media's interest in your organization. So if you're at making an ask, you know, if, if you've gotten a, a letter to the editor that raves about something you have done, your organization has done, quote from that. Because if they can see that you are in the public eye, that will make you more interesting to them. Many smaller local businesses may be unaware of the tax advantage available in, connect, you know, in connection with making a gift to your organization. So make sure you always include this information in the request that you make. And you need to come up with an agreement between you and the board about what you're willing to give in order to get support. We touched on this earlier. You know, what sorts of recognition are they comfortable with? Are you comfortable you know, with? Would you be willing to name an event after the business? You know, the Shell Arctic Winter Games, right? Actually, they were Arco, Arco Arctic Winter Games. They actually named it after it, and, and it ended up badly. Um, the, you know, will you name an event after the business if they support at a certain level? You know, are you in comfortable endorse, endorsing a product or service, or is that one of the board policies says that it has to run through the board and for them, for they, they have to approve it, right? Many of these questions will be answered by your policies discussions early on, but some will not. You want to be clear about what you can and cannot agree to when talking with a potential donor, and you have to have take control of that conversation. So outlining the benefits for the donor company already puts you above the crowd by being original. Companies are usually expected to give um, with nothing in return or they give and they tell you what they want in return. So adjust your request by considering their position and this is gonna make you a genuine front runner when it comes to asking. No two companies are alike. The trick is identifying early on what each company wants or needs at this stage in their corporate growth. Try to be as creative here as you can. So let's just take a simple example that I think most of you can relate to. Let's say your school band is trying to raise funds for new uniforms, instruments, maybe to travel or something. And they're planning to march through town to collect the coins that we all throw away, or not throw away, but we all throw in our spare change jar. You know, we all have those spare change jars. Um, some They just grow, they get bigger and bigger. Let's assume that the local bank or perhaps the regional Walmart has a change counter, one of those counters that you throw the change in and it, it you know, counts it for you. The organization could approach Walmart, ask them to provide the change counter for the day of the event, and offer to create a sign that says, Walmart's Drive for Change, or something like that. You're not naming the event after them. You're creating a banner or a sign that you're going to carry out front. You might also ask them for a cash donation, say, 
um, $2,000 that will be used to kick off the drive. This makes the company look good, requires very little work on your part, and you're taking advantage of a product donation as well as a cash donation. Top of the list to think about at this stage, do not promise more than you can deliver. In fact, if anything, try to hold something back so you can deliver more than you promised. Okay, agenda break. Tammy. <laughs> yes, yes. Those are all really great tips. Um, last question that came in, how much of the gift is actually tax deductible if you have advertising or free tickets involved in the sponsorship? Um, I don't know the right answer. I mean, I kind of know, but I, I'm not supposed to give that kind of advice, tax advice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, but I also just wanted to say that um, we do know that if, if you're giving tickets to an event, you have to take the, the um, retail value of those tickets off the deduction so as a part of the deduction. So I mean, they can't take that as part of their deduction. I do know that, and I can see that, but the rest of it I, I'll have to leave up to um, a tax advisor. Okay, there's another tax-related one, too. Um, same answer to that one. <laughs> what do you do with committee members that do not want to make the ask? I think you've mentioned some things for people yeah, that are... It, it's a good question. It's a really good question, yeah. Tammy, because the, all this research we're talking about here, the committee members that don't want to make the ask, if they can do that background research, some, put somebody on trends, put somebody on building those profiles, you know, have somebody else take a day and drive around town and make the list for you. Those kinds of things can be incredibly helpful. You're going to be so much more knowledgeable when you go for your ask, when you have all this background information. You're going to feel so comfortable that when you make the ask, you're going to, you're going to, well, you're going to get it. <laughs> but you know, you're going to, feel, <laughs> yeah, that's the big thing. But you're going to be you're going to feel very confident in the work that you're doing. So when committee members don't want to make the ask, that's fine. They don't need to. You can do that. You're going to be so prepared. Here's one more one more question I want to throw in there now, and we could catch some of the other ones at the end. But is there a best practice regarding choosing to ask for cash or in-kind or crafting an offer that gives both options? Um, not really, but we are going to be talking about making the ask next, and maybe I'll cover some of that okay. in that period. Okay. Okay. we got to keep going here because we're running out of time. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, by now, you've adopted policies and procedures to guide your program, and you've undertaken a fair amount of research and analysis to really determine what you can offer each business and what projects you're going to pitch for local support. You've also identified who you think will be your best potential sources of support. So now it's time to actually make the pitch. There are two big no-nos when it comes to raising funds from businesses. The first is to put your cause forward without finding the connective tissue between the cause and the company, which we've already discussed. The second big no-no is to rush into making the ask without having your ducks in a row. You absolutely need to know if the business has a formal application process or if they prefer to just write them a letter or send an email or meet face-to-face -face or contact them by phone. You need to know, you know, you absolutely need to know what they prefer. If your internet research doesn't provide the answer, then ask other nonprofits that have received support from the businesses, um, or you can actually go directly to the organization. Like I said, call the receptionist and find out. 
If you're using a database like GrantStation for your research, it's going to let you know if they have application procedures, if, you know, if you're required to write a letter or even an email, but they don't share any particular guidelines, then you want to carefully construct that request. But what if they want a face-to-face -face meeting? What if they don't want you to write a request? How do you prepare and what should you share? You want to start by sending an email or a note card asking them to set up the meeting. Always mention how long you think the meeting will take and be sure to stick to that when you're actually in the meeting, even if they're enjoying themselves tremendously, right? Um, once the meeting is confirmed, you need to do a, a little what I call Sherlocking as I, um, you know, to figure out what your best approach might be. You need to know how formal or informal this meeting will be. Personally, I often find the best approach is to just call the contact's assistant and ask them. You need to know, you know how you should dress. Um, sometimes it's obvious. You're meeting with a banker. He always wears a suit. So there you have it. You're going to dress more formally. But let's say you're, you're meeting with the CEO of the local IT business. You have no clue how he or she dresses. Then you have to do a little bit of investigation. You also want um, to figure out the best way to present the information, a way that makes everyone comfortable so you're not fighting the, boy, you know, I'm uncomfortable beast, right, while you're making your, your pitch. And of course, you need to prepare materials in advance. And I recommend bringing a one-page summary of your request as well as one or two visuals you can share. I also take a copy of the full written request with me because often they will ask you to submit a full proposal and you want to be able to pull it out of your satchel and hand it to them. Let's talk about follow-up and follow-through. Both are very, very important components if you want to create a sustainable corporate donations program that results in reliable revenue. It's not unusual to walk away from the, the meeting with the banker or the, you know, the local utility company or whatever and think, oh, that seemed to go well, but not have a firm commitment. You know, a follow-up letter or email may be needed to close the deal. Before you write it, make sure you're clear about what action you want them to take and make sure you state that call to action in your communication. You know, maybe you need to secure additional information or clarify steps. So, for example, the meeting may have resulted in a, you know, yeah, yeah, we'd like to do this. I just need to check with my marketing department uh, to see how they'd like to brand these uh, toy boxes and if they'd like to participate in, in next spring's uh, panel discussion, something like that, right? You want to move this along to securing the check. So you might say, Mr. Jones, you mentioned following up with your marketing department, and I thought it might be helpful for me to meet with them so we can nail down the particulars. I've also attached our standard business contribution form, which you can fill out and return to us, something like that. You want to make sure if there are loose ends that you follow up quickly. Your questions, need you need to answer any questions that they have, but again, you need to push for that check. Keeping promises made to the donor, to the you know, so the business um, CEO is key to building an ongoing relationship with that local business. So for this reason, and this is so important, I really encourage each of you to always sign a letter of agreement between the business and your organization that provides details about any and all promises from either party. 
even if the agreement is super, super simple. They give you $1,000 and you acknowledge them in the performance program. You know, because even the simplest agreement has details connected to it. And this is a basic business practice and it can truly build your relationship with your corporate donors. They feel confident that what you discussed and what, and, and what will happen are the same. This also guides your staff and volunteers as they undertake any follow-up. Simply put, it is the professional approach to take regardless of the simplicity of the request or the amount of the donation. So one of your board approved policies might cover, uh, might say something like, you know, all contributions over $1,000 from a business requires the execution of a memorandum of understanding detailing the commitments of both the business and our organization. The MOU, the understanding, may contain many additional details, but the idea here is that you're now playing the game on their field, right, with their equipment. Um, they're gonna, it's going to make them comfortable and it will help build a stronger relationship if you send over that MOU. You can call it a draft and ask them if there are any additional items they'd like to include, but it gets them moving in the right direction. Business owners are used to reviewing MOUs. This will make them move forward. Um, if you have an MOU in place, next year's request becomes much easier. According to the MOU, you have to provide them with a final report. And as part of that final report, you can then make a pitch for the next year's support. And having that final report in hand, they can then make decisions about how to move forward with your organization. Okay, just let me summarize. It's all about gathering information, planning, and then executing. It's really what it comes down to, almost with any fundraising program. But gathering that information, planning your approach, and then making it happen. When I first started working at, as a fundraiser, I really didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, and so everything that I developed, because I did it for so long now, everything I've developed, I've polished and worked on over the years. It wasn't something that just happened, you know. I didn't just fall into it. And it, so it takes work, it really does. And sometimes um, you know, I made good decisions and sometimes I made bad decisions and I learned from them all and you will too. But I think, I think you're all gonna find that you, if you sort of follow this process, you're, you're gonna be quite successful with your local business fundraising. And that's The End by Cindy Adams. <laughs> so that was our conversation. There were a lot of great questions and potentially some new ideas to try out. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundin Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.